age cannot wither her, nor custom stale her infinite variety. Hey there, and welcome to Her Infinite Variety, the podcast that covers Shakespeare from a feminist perspective. I'm your host, Aaron Grunfeld, an obsessive fan of Shakespeare's plays. One thing almost everybody knows about Shakespeare is that he didn't work with women. In London 400 years ago, all the female roles were played by boys, and a woman didn't go on stage in one of Shakespeare's plays until almost 50 years after he died. To balance the scales, on her infinite variety, I speak to the women in New York who are producing Shakespeare's plays. The actors, directors, designers, critics, and academics who bring Shakespeare to life in 21st century New York City. In this episode of Her Infinite Variety, I'm thrilled to be talking with a woman playing Hamlet. That's one of the very few male roles by Shakespeare available to women over the centuries. The first woman to play Hamlet may have been Charlotte Shark, an 18th century actor and transvestite. The great Sarah Siddons took the role in the 1770s, and a century later, Sarah Bernhardt played the prince to lasting acclaim. More recently, Frances de la Tour played the role in London, 1979, and Diane Venora worked on the play with Joe Papp in New York, 1982. This summer, London audiences have been dazzled by the Globe's artistic director, Michelle Terry, in the role. Our Hamlet is Jane Bradley, a regular with Shakespeare in the parking lot, the Lower East Side's scruffy alternative to park-based productions. In recent seasons, Jane has played Othello's Amelia and Merchant's Portia downtown. Then, last summer, she directed Twelfth Night for the company, and described the experience for this series back in its written incarnation. This time around, we spoke by phone about how her production approached the gender of Hamlet. So the director is a woman, yay, named Carla Hendrick, who has been with the drilling company for a long time. And she and I felt that the reason to do this iteration of this play would be to see what happens to the text when Hamlet is a woman. So this is not cross-gender casting. I am not playing it as a man in the traditional Sarah Bernhardt way. And I'm not playing it as a woman who was raised like a boy, as the Maxine Peak production a few years ago back in the UK. This is Princess Hamlet. So we have changed the pronouns. Shakespeare purists might feel a certain way about that, but this is our choice. This is the production that we're presenting. And we've changed the gender of a couple of other characters as well. Polonius is now Polonia, Ophelia's mother. Horatio is also a woman as are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And what we are discovering is that it produces a whole new world of interpersonal relationships. The relationship between a father and a daughter or a mother and a daughter is very different from that of a father and son. So we've given ourselves a whole new play just by making these choices. And that's something that we're really embracing. We acknowledge and embrace the challenges that it presents, the questions that it brings up. And we spend time in the rehearsal room talking about those challenges and questions. By swapping the gender of several characters, the parking lot production follows the path set by Sarah Frankham in 2014 at the Manchester Royal Exchange. That production starred Maxine Peake as Hamlet, and swapped the gender of several more characters besides. Here's Ms. Peake playing opposite Gillian Bevan as Polonia. Hi, 
does, my good Lord Hamlet? Well, God of mercy. <laughs> Do you know me, my Lord? Excellent well. You're a fishmonger. Not I, my lord. Then I would you were so honest a woman. Honest, my lord? Aye, madam. To be honest as this world goes is to be one woman picked out of ten thousand. That's very true, my lord. Jane's Hamlet, as she mentioned, is a woman, Hamlet, Princess of Denmark. She also said that this gender change altered the character relationships in the play, so I asked her how. One that I can think of off the top of my head, because it's something that we're thinking about at the very moment, is what happens when the ghost is addressing his daughter. So we are very interested in whether that brings a certain type of softness or a certain type of intimacy to his plea for revenge that more conventional or traditional productions of Hamlet don't often have. And that plea being the impetus for the entire play, if it's coming from a place of softness, from a place of emotional vulnerability on the part of the ghost speaking to his daughter, really changes the arc. So that's just one example of the colors that you'll see in our production that aren't necessarily what you've come to expect from other productions of Hamlet. Swapping gender seems like a simple change, an easy way to get more women on stage in Shakespeare's plays. But Hamlet, like many of his characters, has a strong misogynistic streak. This trait comes out in his confrontation with Ophelia, a scene that can be harrowing for the actor on the receiving end of Hamlet's bile. But in this case, I also wondered what it's like to be the one condemning women with such violence. Still hard. Hard on both sides. In terms of the relationship with Ophelia, who we are keeping as a woman, so it is a same-sex relationship, we have decided in the rehearsal process that this was a relationship of real love and trust, that an intimacy was built up and that we had been in a good place at one time prior to the start of the play. So in looking at the script and in thinking about the story, I've been tracking that relationship a lot to better understand where it ends up in this scene. And I think what you realize when you think of both people as having a real deep love for each other at the start is that that scene is all about pain, that Hamlet at that point has been betrayed multiple times by her mother, by Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, certainly by Polonius. And you could even argue that Ophelia because we know that at that point she has started rejecting Hamlet's letters and her appeals to speak with her, that Ophelia has already hurt Hamlet. So when you approach the scene from a place of pain rather than pure rage, I think there's a lot more that reveals itself. And I certainly find it to be very tragic. I think it's also upsetting. I think it's also traumatizing. But I think it's very sad to watch two people hurt each other in this way when you know that there was once love there. I've seen productions where this scene can be physical, even violent. So I asked Jane how she and the company deal with all that hostility. It's going to be pretty physical. We've been talking a lot about Hamlet's physicality being a woman. I should also mention that it is a contemporary production. So we're setting it in the here and now. So 
part of this idea of madness and moving towards violence is going to involve this fetishization of violence. And because we would like to do a contemporary production where modern issues are addressed, Hamlet will have a gun. So we're thinking a lot about the times at which the physicality is really hands-on and the violence is hands-on. And I think you'll see some of that in the Ophelia scene, as well as the Gertrude bedroom scene. But at the same time, there is something very interesting about the way that you're able to detach with violence when you have a gun. So in what ways is it scarier for someone to just shoot somebody in a moment of passion versus grab them and confront this idea of being violent? And I think they're two very different qualities, both obviously quite scary, and you'll see them both in our production. That sounds like a topical hook for dealing with the play's aggression. Gun violence in America is more often linked to men than women, especially in public events like school shootings, but also in domestic and romantic situations. But I wondered how Hamlet's female gender in this case alters the social dynamic that the show is commenting on. Hopefully, if we do our jobs right, you'll see this sort of narrative of when Hamlet begins to enact her madness, when she starts to put her antic disposition on. Part of that will be beginning to fantasize about or demonstrate an affinity for guns. So I will be perusing a text that suggests I might be considering purchasing a gun or building a bomb. So if we frame it correctly, then it won't be so much a matter of gender as it will be a matter of seeing how a young, frustrated person gets pushed to the point of wanting to hurt other people with a gun. That's a very specifically American idea. And I think it's also something that we associate quite closely with youth culture. So yes, there is something to be said about what happens when it's a woman holding a gun rather than a man, but I don't think that there will be anything particularly glamorous or Hollywood per se about the way Hamlet's relationship with weaponry develops. You'll be witnessing somebody move closer to desiring an instrument of death and destruction and seeing what happens when somebody goes there. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable in action. How like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? That was Maxine Peak again. In that production, a woman played a woman brought up as a man. By contrast, Jane's Hamlet, as she mentioned, is unequivocally female. I asked Jane how her perspective on gender has provided insight into a notionally male role. This is a question that I've been thinking about a lot. Something that I've heard or read a lot of Hamlet say is that your Hamlet has to be you because the character is so necessarily 
personal and internal. So I've obviously seen many productions with different people playing the role, but I have a hard time at this point, because I'm so entrenched in the process myself, thinking about how else the role could be played because I'm going through this journey myself so intensely at the moment. So all I can really speak to is what I'm finding. And I know that something that I feel like my femaleness affords me is the ability to mine the vulnerability of the character. And I mean that in terms of emotional accessibility, but also this idea that we all struggle with imposter syndrome to varying degrees. I think that's pretty deeply ingrained in our culture as women and that we feel like we have to fight for our place at the table. Those things feel very real to me in this character and in the way that I'm approaching the production, thinking about it in terms of what it would mean for a future female leader to have her role usurped by an incompetent man (laughs) is a very potent idea that is hitting me pretty hard. That in turn raises the question of why this male character has been so open to female actors over the centuries. I think it's a very easy answer to that one, actually. I think it's the best character there is. And I think if you're a woman and you're an actor, then you're going to want to play the best role available. I will say that in addition to being the best, it comes back to the character being so deeply universally human. And so in a way that, let's say, Macbeth might feel very gendered because of the traditional ideas of male brute strength and masculine dominance. Hamlet's not those things. Hamlet is more vulnerable, more introspective, more conflicted. I hesitate to use the word softer because I think that implies something that I don't want to suggest. But there is, again, a universality to Hamlet's character that is not gendered. It just has to do with the human condition. And who wouldn't want to explore that, male, female, or otherwise? To be. Oh, not to be. (laughs) That is a question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous virtue. Or to take arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing end them. Every soliloquy is so meaty from the very top, from, oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt. No other monologues I've ever encountered. It immediately taps into something very primal and emotional as opposed to intellectual. I keep using the word frightening or intimidating. And I don't mean that in terms of, oh, this role is so famous, what am I going to do? But rather, it takes you someplace. It very actively transports you. The language takes you to the place that this character is existing in intellectually and emotionally in that moment. And it's really powerful. It's very moving, I think, for the audience, but also for the actor. You know, you go through something. I think... For whatever reason, Shakespeare really took the time and put the thought into the development of Hamlet in such a way that there's literally an infinite amount of 
material to be mined. And the more that you think about the character and the more that you think about the motivation behind what she does, you'll notice that I'm using the female pronoun because I'm, I'm trying to reinforce that in my mind as well as everyone else's for this production. But yes, the more you mine the character, the more comes to the fore. You literally never hit a wall in terms of what you can do with the character, where you can go, how much of a real person she is. That isn't an uncommon observation to make about Hamlet's character. But I've always wondered, if Hamlet is infinite, how can the actor possibly encompass the role? Aren't there facets of Hamlet that will always elude him or her? I talked about that with Jane, and here's how she responded. Something that I've read that people say often is that there are multiple Hamlets throughout the play. That's one way of analyzing the character that has become a popular theory. There is the sort of logical Hamlet who is following this procedural set of actions in order to accomplish her goal. And then there is this id Hamlet who is reacting to things that are happening around her in this very animal way. And then there is the mad Hamlet, and I say mad in quotes, which is a performance for the benefit of other people. I am not sold on that theory. I believe that actually these are all very comfortably one person. Because I go back to this idea that this is a real person in a way that I've never encountered another character in any piece of theater before. We all behave sometimes surprisingly. We all behave sometimes irrationally in a way that seems out of character. But in fact, that's what makes us people. And I think there are moments where her behavior is surprising, is baffling. I'm thinking about the bedroom scene where she really snaps at her mother or the play within a play scene where she's really mining her own madness and speaking so grossly to Ophelia and making Claudius very uncomfortable. But what I'm finding is that I can very easily track why these things happen when they do if I allow myself to experience the story. So I guess in a way, I'm always finding that the character is leading me as opposed to me leading the character. But at no point do I feel taken out of the story or taken aback by the behavior. Rather, I'm delighted by the thing that comes next because it feels like something someone would do. As we wrapped up our phone call, I asked Jane what other Shakespearean roles she'd like to take a crack at. So I've always been interested, and this is obviously not right now, but I think one day King Lear will really appeal to me for very much the same reasons Hamlet does, but 40 years down the road. And I know that Glenda Jackson is about to bring the role to Broadway, so I am so excited to see that. I cannot wait. Because very similarly, I feel like it's the story of a person coming to the end of their life and reflecting on their choices in such a profound and verbose and beautiful way that who wouldn't want to explore it? Thanks very much to Jane Bradley for speaking with me. Jane plays the lead in Hamlet for Shakespeare in the Parking Lot on the Lower East Side, July 2018. We also heard clips of Maxine Peake in the role, alongside Gillian Bevan as Polonia and Michelle Butterly as the Gravedigger. Next week, I'll be speaking with Lauren Molina, who's starring in a musical adaptation of Measure for Measure set in the Wild West. 
The theme music for her infinite variety is Da Duran Ron by The Crystals. And behind me now is Heart. Ooh, Barracuda. I'm Aaron Grunfeld, and this has been Her Infinite Variety. Thanks for listening. <laughs>